All right, once again, in the uh, book of Acts, chapter number two, uh, uh, we are, I'm doing something a little different this morning. We uh, have been, uh, Russ has been doing the uh, preaching through the book of the Revelation in the morning services, but on our, since this is communion, we kind of changed a little bit. And uh, so he will be preaching uh, this evening, but you do not want to miss that uh, preaching in the book of the Revelation. I have to say that it has just been tremendous. And, uh, and I don't want to leave out art either because on uh, morning uh, teaching hour, it is tremendous. And the uh, message that I want to share with you this morning, uh, really, it just... It just seems to me like all the preaching and teaching that's being done lately is just showing clearly how the Bible fits together so perfectly. And uh, so we're going to look here in the uh, book of Acts. And you'll be happy to know that I don't intend to preach a verse by verse through every one of these 41 verses that we read this morning. I will begin with verse number 22, but uh, just to uh, make sure we understand uh, what's going on, uh, this, is a, uh, this is an account of God's continuing work in redemption. And Jesus now has died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And for 40 days, he was with his disciples on earth before his ascension. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And the day of Pentecost uh, is uh, uh, called uh, the, uh, the Feast of Weeks in the Old Testament, but the day of Pentecost is to be 50 days after the uh, Feast of First Fruits. And the First Fruits was when they would go out into the field before any of the grain had been harvested, before anyone had eaten any of the fruit of that field, they would go out and gather a sheaf of the grain and bring it before the temple and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And uh, that is, I won't take time to go into all the details, but that's a lovely picture of the resurrection. It happened after the Passover. And so the Passover, of course, was a picture of, of Jesus, our Passover lamb being offered for us. The, uh, the wave offering of the uh, of the first fruits was a picture of Christ who is the first fruits of the resurrection. And then there comes the day of Pentecost. That's 50 days. That's the uh, uh, reason it's called Pentecost. The uh, prefix pent is 50. And uh, so, so the day of Pentecost was a regular celebration. And so this was a day when uh, the people of Israel, there were still people who had traveled to Jerusalem from all different parts of 
the world, and they were there for this feast. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit... Now, remember what's happened. Jesus has ascended. He's been seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh, the, uh, the proof that God has accepted his sacrifice and that he has made it. He arrived in heaven. He didn't get lost on the way. And he is in his place at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. The very proof of that is the fact that God gave him the Spirit to pour out on his people. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, indwelled his people, and the whole point of this thing was not so much that they spoke in tongues, but that they were brought together as one body in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak. And we have Peter's words as a perfect example of what was being said. And, uh, and so I'm going to pray, and then I want us to listen to Peter preach. I'm pretty proud of Peter, aren't you? I mean, in a good way, because he had a rocky road getting to this day, didn't he? And, uh, and so uh, things have really changed in his life. So let's, let's go to the Lord. Our Father, once again, we thank you for being so good to us. That you, that you gave your Son to be the one to reconcile us. And that you gave him as a sacrifice for our sins to turn away your wrath from us and to bring us into a right relationship with you. And you have uh, not only done that, but you raised him and seated him at your right hand. And then you have given us your Holy Spirit that indwells us and gives us the very nature of God indwelling us and the power of God living and working in us to transform us. And we want to thank you that uh, he gives us boldness, boldness to proclaim your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you have preserved these truths for us in the scripture. Now open our hearts to hear it and to get it and to love it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look. Well, I'm not going to start in verse 22. I'm going to start in verse 14 because this is good stuff. Now, uh, uh, we've already seen those, those uh, uh, different nationalities of people and the different language groups that have heard. So it wasn't only speaking in other tongues going on or other languages, but there was also hearing. People were hearing and understanding what was said. It was not some sort of, uh, of babble or something like that, but it was 
actual languages that were being spoken and people were actually understanding and we also found that the languages or the people were hearing and the people were speaking about the wonderful works of God and specifically as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what verse number 14 says. But Peter... Standing with the eleven. Now just think about this. Just think about this. This is the guy who, uh, when Jesus began to relate to them that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to be uh, taken and arrested by uh, and uh, charged and abused by the elders and chief priests, and that he was going to be killed, and that the third day he would rise again. Peter is the one who took him aside and said, far be it from you. You see, it's hard for them to have any categories for a Messiah that was going to suffer as a, like a criminal. They didn't have categories for that. They were looking for a Messiah that would have victory, that would come in victory. But they didn't realize that in order for this Messiah to have the victory they needed, he would have to go all the way to the grave. And, and so Peter had a problem uh, with that, just like the rest of the disciples did. And Peter's the guy who, when they said, uh, uh, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he said, oh, no, not me. And he went to the, uh, got so far as to even curse and say, no, I don't know this man. And so he has denied the Lord Jesus. He was a man that was uh, uh, kind of fearful uh, to stand for the truth and to stand with Jesus. But now, it's just been a few days, it's just been weeks now since uh, Jesus has been crucified and uh, uh, raised from the dead and ascended. But here is a very different Peter. One of the uh, translations says it like this, but Peter took his stand with the eleven. He's bold now, isn't he? And that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when he indwells his people. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and have and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. This is what the mockers had said of them, that they, had, uh, that they were drunk with new wine. But uh, he said, this is, uh, uh, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes from Joel chapter 2, which Art has been has uh, taught during the uh, morning teaching hour. And he said, and this is the scripture that he quoted, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now he's talking about 
He's talking about what's going to happen with the new covenant. When Jesus comes and gives himself as a sacrifice on the cross, rises again and uh, ratifies the new covenant, he, this is what how it's going to be in the last days, those days when the covenant is, is fully in force. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that doesn't mean every single person without distinction. What it means is every kind of people without distinction. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And you can go into uh, all kinds of uh, 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 side roads and rabbit trails on things like this. But what he's saying is just what it, is, what it says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter number 10. That uh, and let me just get it and read it here so I don't misquote it. Hebrews chapter number 10, he says, uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Uh, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another. And I missed my verse. <laughs> All right. It's verse 15. Uh, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us uh, after... Uh, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So what, uh, what we're seeing here is that all flesh, all kinds of people without distinction are going to have the Holy Spirit. They're going to be able to know the truths of God. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that is the full manifestation of the new covenant. But then... Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Now the word attested here, it's, a, it's an interesting word. It could be translated many different ways. One way is it could be a, a translated confirmed. A man confirmed to you. A man proved to be genuine. And, and he says he was attested or 
uh, proved to be true to you by God. And how did God do that? With mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And so he is reminding the hearers of the work of Jesus before he went to the cross on how that he uh, was able to raise the dead. He drove out demons and he uh, healed the sick and those miracles that he did. If you uh, just look at all the miracles that Jesus did in the Gospels, you find that he didn't heal the sniffles or at least it's not recorded that he very often healed people of the sniffles. He healed people who were completely hopeless and helpless. And every one of those healings was a picture of uh, those sick people were a picture of the condition that we're in in sin and that he is the only one that can rescue. And so uh, they knew all this. As a matter of fact, rather than rejoicing in these things, they had become angry with Jesus over it. The Sadducees, who did not believe in supernatural and the afterlife or angels or any of those things, were really angry with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so... Uh, but they knew about all these works that God and signs that God did through him in their very midst. And he says, as you yourselves know. And then he says uh, uh, two words that he says uh, three times in these verses. He says, this Jesus, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Delivered up. It's, it, the, the picture here is like that sacrificial lamb being brought to the tabernacle and handed over to the priest for slaughter, for sacrifice. It's going to have its blood drained. And, uh, and this is exactly... What happened to Jesus? He was handed over to the executioners. He was delivered up. And it wasn't by accident. But it, he was delivered up according to the definite plan. And foreknowledge of God. And so this was not something that was done by accident. There are... Uh, four points that I would like for you to remember this morning, and I don't have time to uh, deal very much with all of them, but the first point is that we remember that Jesus died a natural death. And he also died an unnatural death. He died a natural death. Now, I, I didn't come up with that. Someone else did, and I, I looked up the term. <laughs> Praeternatural means beyond natural. And 
he died a supernatural death. And so we, we see these things. Jesus died a natural death. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wasn't that amazing? That even the wrath of man, even the sin of man, does not thwart God's plan. Our redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ came about through the rejection of men and their hatred of him. But he gave, he was willing to give his life for our sins. And so the, and, and as we said, he actually died. He didn't just swoon. There's some who think that uh, he was just so brutally beaten and uh, so his uh, signs of life were so weak as to have been missed and they assumed that he was dead and they took him and put him in the grave and rolled the stone to the door and uh, somehow without any help whatsoever in that weakened and almost dead condition he recovered but uh, that's not what the bible teaches he didn't swoon he didn't pass out he literally died and that was necessary if he did not die we're still in our sins there is no hope for us without the sacrifice the full sacrifice of the lord jesus christ and uh, so he died a natural death. Also, he died an unnatural death because this death was one that was uh, was planned. It was one that was foreordained before the foundation of the world. If you'll remember what uh, uh, Peter said in First Peter, chapter number one, and verse number eighteen, I believe it is. First Peter one eighteen, he said, And if you call on him as Father, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So this was something that was planned even before the foundation of the world. And when God, when the scripture says that uh, it was uh, by the definite, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, it doesn't mean that God just... Uh, uh, looked off into the future and saw that it was going to happen and so he planned it that way 
it means that it was God's eternal plan from the very beginning. And so Jesus did not die by accident. And thirdly, in this verse, we see a, uh, a, a preternatural death or a beyond natural death. And that is that he died for us. He died in our place. He died a death that no one else could die. He could. Uh, 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 he was the only one who was without sin. He was the only hope for our salvation. There, uh, and it's a it's a terrible thing to remember and to think that uh, our sin was so desperate and our situation was so desperate that it took the death of the Son of God, the sacrifice of the Son of God in human flesh. That was the only hope for us. That's how desperate our situation was. And, uh, and not only that, it was a supernatural death because in verse 24, he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, Jesus died, but he only died because he gave up his spirit. He yielded up his spirit. Jesus was not a sinner. And death only is, is the punishment for sin, right? Death is the punishment for sin. He had never broken even one jot or tittle of the law. He fulfilled every bit of the law. And so even hanging on the cross, it's my opinion that he could not have died if he had not willed to die. If he had not been uh, willing to die because he was sinless, but he was bearing the sins that were ours and he was turning away the wrath of God for us and in death he was completely dead they took him down from the cross they prepared his body for the burial and uh, just uh, uh, to go back to the fact that he was literally dead if he had uh, if there had been any hope whatsoever that he was still alive, I promise you his mother and uh, those who loved him most would never have buried him, right? There was no chance that he was alive. He was graveyard dead. They put him in the grave. But thank God, that's not the end of the story. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Not only was he too glorious and holy that he should not have died, but he couldn't stay dead. He's God incarnate. God, uh, uh, and Peter goes on then to talk about how that David, and he quotes Psalm 16, and uh, how that he talked about one who would sit on his throne. 
he talked about one who, or in light of the fact that God had promised him one to sit on his throne, he uh, wrote in Psalm 16, he said, Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. That's resurrection. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And notice the language there, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. In order for that Messiah to sit on the throne and to enjoy a resurrection, he had to have died. And uh, we talked about that last week in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 12, where uh, uh, Jesus quoted this same passage of Scripture, uh, or Jesus quoted the following passage of Scripture, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110 and verse number 1. And Jesus is that Messiah who both died and rose again and is the one who is to be the king over God's people, the Israel of God. So Peter says in uh, verse number 32, this Jesus God raised up. And in verse number 36, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, he brought that guilt on them. And he said, now, and the scripture says, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There was a message of repentance. I've got to stop. But there's a message of repentance here. They were to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the Bible says in verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wonderful preaching that Peter did on the day of Pentecost. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would take these scattered thoughts and uh, somehow help our people to receive them, to rejoice in them. And to remember as we participate in the communion that we might remember our Lord Jesus who died in our place. In Jesus' name, amen.